quarantine. We're going to do a series of messages here in July. Uh, first thing I've got to say, I've got I, I to just put this out there. It's a sad day today. I was just saying to Sally as she was coming in, it's a sad, sad day today because this is the Sunday that I'm always saying to you, well, you're not going to see me this week because I'm going to be out of camp with all the kids and I'm not going to get to spend a week at camp with kids this week. It's going to save me about 130 bucks in gold coins. But it's going to cost my heart dearly because those kids are the most precious thing in the world. You guys are all important to me, but if you haven't learned by now, I'm all about the kids. I'm all about the kids. And so I'm sorry where I fail you, but I do my best not to fail the kids. It's all because of a quarantine. We're going to do a series of sermons, messages, call them whatever you want. In the month of July and the first week of August about lessons from the wilderness. As I have been reflecting and thinking about all of the quarantine over the last several months and we're at home and we're trying to come back to church and we're trying to get back into public spaces and we're trying to figure out how we live together in all of this, it struck me that we are not the first to experience these kinds of things. God's people had to deal with quarantine. God's people had to deal with exile. God's people had to deal with being separated from Him and being separated from each other. And so what I chose to do was pull four of those instances out. First one we're going to deal with is the Garden of Eden. That's today. The second one we're going to deal with is the, the uh, Exodus from Egypt wilderness journey the third one we're going to deal with is going to be in in three weeks we're going to deal with the exile into Babylon when God's people were carried off into a strange land as the result of a war and the fourth one we're going to deal with Jesus as God it says in the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness so those are the four times of quarantine exile that we're going to be dealing with. And I've called this series Lessons from the Wilderness. What did God's people learn there? What have we learned? Have we learned anything? Well, I'm going to tell you that as we begin today with the Garden of Eden, can I tell you I am more, much more at this point than 30 years into my ministry, what God has called me to do in life. After I got done playing around in the army and jumping out of helicopters and doing all the fun stuff of life. And I settled down into what I felt like God was calling me to do. I grew up Orthodox. I don't know about you guys. Now what that means is I'm basically conservative in my beliefs. I'm, I'm one of these people that holds up Scripture as primary. It's authoritative. I have to make life come to grips with the Word of God. I do not feel at liberty to take the Word of God and apply it to life. I have to take life and say, what does Scripture have to say about that? That's just me. And can I tell you that from the beginning I have wrestled with something, and it's taken me over 30 years of ministry to be at peace with this. I have never understood the whole God and sin and man thing other than from the standpoint that as Paul, 
I proclaim I'm a sinner and I have to be saved by grace. But what's all that mean? Does it ever get fuzzy for you? Does it feel to you like we are God's enemies sometimes? Does it ever feel like that to you? Have you ever heard that type of thing preached? God has to overcome us? You heard it in the last song that we sang. So it's still here because that's as contemporary as you get. The reckless love of God. When I was a foe, you still fought for me. In other words, there is still in our young generation an idea that I have wrestled with all of my adult life at least when I started thinking Am I God's enemy? Doesn't that, isn't that what foe implies? That we're an enemy of God? That God has to somehow overcome us? That God is at war with us? Can I tell you that I just reject that? I reject the idea that God is at war with us. I know who God is at war with. Here are some statements that you might not agree with at all, but I've written them down for my purposes today. We are not God's enemies. Now, you can have a different opinion than I do. That's okay. We can talk about it. We can not talk about it. But I'm telling you for my purposes today, we are not God's enemies. I know who God's enemy is. The one that has put himself against God is Satan. Satan is the one that is leading a rebellion. And he has angels that are helping him in a battle against God. God's not at war with us. God is not at war with you and me. God is at war with a rebellious angel. We are putting ourselves either on God's side in that war or on Satan's side in that war. That's going to be proven from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation where the book of Revelation is all about whose kingdom are you living in. And the book of Revelation is John saying you need to make sure you're living in God's kingdom, not Satan's, because the beast is going to come. The Antichrist is going to come physically into the world. And there is going to be a final battle. And which side do you want to be on in that battle? Because God's not coming back to this world to do battle with you and I. Or you and me. God is coming back into this world to once and for all end the battle that Satan started. That's what the book of Revelation is about. Not us. We did not create sin. We are not that gifted. We didn't create sin. We sinned. In other words, we lined up on one side of that battle. We chose something that God had not wanted for us. But we did not create sin, brothers and sisters. We are not the greatest sin in this world. 
The greatest sin came from Satan himself. Because the greatest sin happened in heaven itself. When Satan rebelled against his creator. And led angels. We didn't create sin. In the battle of this world. God is dealing with Satan and his angels. And we are not God's enemies. We didn't create sin. We are trapped in the middle of that battle because we as God's crowning glory of creation, we chose sin. We chose to be on the wrong side of that battle in one event. And that sets up the whole conversation today that I would like to have about what it means to be quarantined from the Garden of Eden. If you got a bulletin today, you'll see that the word I used in there is a harsh word. Because the word there is the word I grew up with. My message, banished from the garden. That's the understanding I grew up with. That we were banished from the garden. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Banishment means you never get to come back. We weren't banished from the garden. You read the end of the book, we get to go back. You read the end of the book, we're living again with God in His home. You see, the the Garden of Eden is God's home. It's God's home. It was God's home at the beginning of Genesis. Read your Bible. It's God's home at the end of the book of Revelation. At the beginning of the book of Genesis, it says God created us from the dust of the earth. We weren't created from the Garden of Eden. It was God's home. We were created from the dust of the earth, it says in Genesis chapter 2. And God took us and placed us in the Garden of Eden. He placed us in His home. Now, in God's home, there is the tree of life. There is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because this is God's home. And He is and has all of that. Satan lives in God's home. We know that because he's in the tree. And when Eve is having a conversation with him, he tempts her and she sins and Adam sins. We know the story. We've heard it since since our young young days in Sunday school because we had wonderful Sunday school teachers. And then it says that God kicked us out of Eden, the Garden of Eden. Not Eden itself. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a quarantine. Not a banishment. You see, it says in the third chapter when we sin, God has a conversation with the rest of His angels, with Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He says... If man is allowed to live here in the garden with us, in our house, then he'll continue to eat from the tree of life. 
And if he continues to eat from the tree of life, he now is in a state of sin. And so that means there is no remedy for the sin that we have chosen to live in. And so God does the reasonable thing. He says, because of that, they can't live here anymore. Is this beginning to sound familiar to you? From what we have experienced over the last several months? Can, can I just throw some things out there for you based on, I'm off Facebook now, so if you think you're connecting with me on Facebook, you're not because I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it. I'm sorry, folks. So I, I'm not, I may get back onto Facebook when all this is over and people are reasonable again. Does it seem like we're each other's enemies anymore? Guys, we are not each other's enemies. I can't tell you the number of theories I've heard about why the government has done this to us. Good grief, I'm expecting the black helicopters any day in Santa Claus, Indiana. I don't know, but you know what I'm pretty sure? I am pretty sure I am not the enemy of the Democratic Party. I'm a conservative. But I'm pretty sure that I'm not Joe Biden's enemy. I'm pretty sure I'm not Nancy Pelosi's enemy. I tend to vote more Republican than Democrat, so I know I'm not Donald Trump's enemy. He's praying for me. Do you get the point that I'm trying to make here? All of a sudden, we think that the government's our enemy now. And we think we're enemies with each other. Can I tell you, I voted for Lee Hamilton. Now, all the younger people are like, who's Lee Hamilton? Lee Hamilton was a Democrat in the days when Democrats and Republicans got along. And yes, I voted for both Richard Luger and Lee Hamilton because they were fine men in the state of Indiana. We are not enemies of our government, and our government is not our enemy. To the best of my recollection, this quarantine happened because a virus came into the world that we had never dealt with before. And nobody knew how to deal with it. And we hadn't dealt with a virus like it since the early 1900s. And so the people with the most knowledge... We're going back a hundred years saying, how do we deal with it then? What should we do now? To, to the best of my research, you know me, I've read books. That thing lasted three years before we ever got the Spanish flu to the point that we could live together with it. And nobody was anybody else's enemies. It felt like it. Do you think it felt to Adam and Eve like God was their enemy when he said to them, you can't live here anymore. I'm pretty sure it felt a lot like what it felt like to us when our government said and our governor said to churches, you can't meet there right now. What do you mean I can't meet in my church right now? This is the United States of America. You can't tell me where I can meet and can't meet. I'm pretty sure they did this because they felt like this was the safest and best thing for everybody. Now, if this goes on 20 years, I might start 
getting back on Facebook and listening to some of the theories. But so far, it's been three months. And we're already starting to meet back together. And I don't know what's going to happen because we're hearing that cases are spiking again. Are we going to have to, to pull things back? I don't know. But if we do, can I tell you my first thought is not going to be that the government is doing this because somehow it wants to control me or destroy me. Could that be true? Yeah. Did the Bolshevik Revolution happen? Yeah. Did communism spread in the 1960s? I was there. Yeah. Is this that? Mm, I don't think so yet. My point is this. What are the lessons from a quarantine? Can, can I share with you what happened? Let me just take you to Genesis, the second chapter. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man that He had formed. And Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden. Boy, that's a whole different phrase than banished. But can I tell you, I grew up with an understanding that God banished me from the garden, punished me, rather than sent me out. Do you know that sounds a whole lot more like a quarantine than it does a punishment? If we let him stay in the garden with us, he'll live forever in a state of sin because he has already fallen. Can I tell you how that in, in the last several years has reshaped my understanding of the mercy and grace of God that sometimes God just does for us the things that we need when we don't even understand he need, we need them? I don't think we were banished from the garden. I think we were sent out of the garden because if we'd have stayed in the garden, it wouldn't have been good for us. I don't think we were quarantined as a penalty because we had acted badly. I think there was an attempt by our government, be it right or wrong, good or bad, work didn't work, whether face masks are a good thing or not a good thing. I think everybody has the intention of saying, what is it that's going to do the best for all the people that we can do? Not just Tim, who tends to be a rebellious spirit. And the day I was quarantined was like, ain't nobody quarantining me. That's my rebellious spirit. That's not the government's problem. That's not your problem. That's my problem to deal with. Can I say that one of the lessons I think from the wilderness was this? This is what struck me about the garden. I'm sure there's all kinds of lessons that you could read this story of, of a quarantine time for the people of God. Because make no mistake, Adam and Eve are the people of God. And they get quarantined. They get, they get sent out. They get sent away. And brothers and sisters, the garden is not going to be open for business again the end they don't get to come back we're coming back what if the church had never reopened 
What if the church had never reopened? You know, when we come to church, this is the obvious place where we see God in the world, isn't it? We have our signs. We have our signs of God all around, don't we? This is the obvious place that we see God. When we leave here and we go out into the places that we work, you know, in the places that we live, if we are Christian, we generally have surrounded ourselves with some of the signs of God. But the places that we live with each other out there, we don't see the signs of God out there. We just don't see Him. Church is the place that we have surrounded ourselves with the symbols and signs and the presence of God. That's the garden. You walk, you walk and talk in the garden. God's there. Can I tell you what hit me? Adam and Eve didn't invite God to go with them. I had never thought about that before. And I thought about it because when we are going to see in the other stories where there is a quarantine or a wilderness experience, we're going to have times when the people beg God to go with them. Can I tell you when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, the first thing out of their lips was not, God, I get it, but would you go with us? When we quarantined, what was our first thought? Well, God, if I can't be in church, will you go with me wherever I have to go? If the signs and symbols and your presence aren't going to be obvious to me, can you travel with me? And can I tell you, Adam and Eve suffered because they didn't invite God to go with them? They had a son, Cain, and another son named Abel. Now, it's obvious that God is still out there because they're going to bring sacrifices to him. But I don't see any intentionality by Adam and Eve to say, okay, we don't get to live with God in the garden anywhere, but that doesn't mean God can't live with us in our quarantine. It doesn't mean God can't live out here with us. But I don't see any attempt by Adam and Eve to make that a reality. And they have a son named Cain that is going to come in the same way many of us do. To the presence of God, to a symbol of God, obviously to an altar of God that acknowledges God as God. But God doesn't receive him the way Cain thinks he's supposed to receive him. And Cain rises up and kills his brother Abel. Can I tell you one of the things that I've witnessed in this quarantine? Lessons from the quarantine. For those that did not invite God to go with them. Can I tell you that Clayton and Stephen just worked furiously to make sure that if you wanted the very symbols that represent God here could be accessed in your homes. And I know many people took advantage of that. Once a week. Did we invite God 
when we couldn't be here anymore to go with us. And you know, the reality is every week when we leave church, we kind of hear that. Are you going to take God with you? Or are you, or are you just going to go back out and live in the world and then when you come back to church, well, then it'll be obvious that God's in the world again. We have to go a couple chapters over before we read these words. Adam and Eve knew... Adam knew his wife Eve again. In other words, they're going to have a son. And his name was Seth. And Seth had a son named Enish. And when Seth had a son named Enish, it says, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Can I tell you what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a time when the people of God finally said again, God, I need you to be with me here. I don't need... That's Genesis 4. The very last verse, 25 and 26. And people began to call on the name of the Lord again. Can I tell you, one of the lessons that I've seen from the quarantine is there were whole lots of of places in our culture that we had to figure some things out. I know that abuse went up. I know that domestic uh, abuse went up. I know that the use of alcohol went up, even though the sale of alcohol went down. And I can tell you the sale of alcohol went down, not because people weren't buying it at the liquor stores, to take to their own homes, but because there weren't bars and restaurants that were open to sell massive quantities of it. Not because people weren't using it, because I can tell you the, the abuses for drugs and alcohol, those statistics all went up during the quarantine. I can tell you that when you don't invite God to go with you into the world, when the obvious signs are the things of the world and not the things of God, that brothers and sisters, we will struggle as the people of God. Not because God is at war with us, but because God has done what He was supposed to do in the Garden of Eden. He showed mercy and He showed grace to us. This wasn't a punishment. This was a what was best for us. I don't know if our government did what was best for us during the quarantine, but I know I think it tried. And I think it's still trying. And we're still going to pay attention to our experts and we're still going to try to do what's best and reasonable. Did they get it all right? No. Did God get it all right? Yes. Lessons from the wilderness. If I've learned nothing else in this first one, it's that I need to be pretty intentional about making sure that when I am in any way quarantined from God, can I tell you I had a quarantine experience? It's when I went off to college and my home church wasn't there anymore. And when I was quarantined from that because of space, when I couldn't be there anymore, can I tell you that I wasn't always real diligent about making sure that I took God with me? And can I tell you that I got in lots of trouble in this world? And things didn't exactly go well for me. Now I got that under control. And I came back. And I once again called on the name of the Lord. Do you get the point? The point number one in first week's message, lessons from the wilderness. When we find ourselves separated from God for whatever reason, don't be hesitant to ask God to travel with you wherever it is you go. God will travel with you. He can go anywhere. There is no place that we could go that God cannot be found. But we are going to have to call on his name.
Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray for us as we once again try to bring this quarantine back together and church back together. And Lord, help us to trust each other. Help us to trust our leaders. Conflict is inevitable. I know that. But re reinstill within us a basic level of trust and hope. First in you, then in each other, then in our leaders and our nation. Lord, we do trust you. And we do invite you to walk these days and these roads with us. And we pray all of this in your name. And amen. Please stand. I'd love to leave you with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and may God give you peace. God is good. All and all the time. God bless. Go in peace.